What up? Welcome to another episode of You Read Me. It's your boy Big Facts here. Yeah, man. So it's been a lot going on since I last recorded. Had a trip to Denver that we went to. Meeting me and the wife went on a couple's trip with some friends, and it was pretty cool, man. Denver was a bit disappointing, a bit plain. Not a lot of big buildings. Disappointing as a city, as a city as a whole to me personally. Had some good food though, some cool people. Um, we went up in the mountains. Air was fresh, nice scenery. So I think if you're not going up there for like the mountains or the ski, then it might be regular as fuck. But it's cool, cool time, nice to get away. Um, listen to some people I wouldn't normally listen to in music. Uh, Money Bag Yo, I hadn't heard him in a while. Like when he first came out, I used to listen to him, and then I kind of fell off from listening to him. But then I listened to his most recent stuff, man. I got to get back on him, man. He he was really killing it. Uh, listen to that. Went back and listened to his last album. Last album was fire. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, I need to start paying more attention to Moneybag Yo. I kind of stopped listening to him, but I got definitely got to get back on. On the way up there when I was riding, just looking for something to play, uh, listen to Mozzie. I wasn't I wasn't really on Mozzie. I just heard him on some feature tracks. I heard people talk about him. But I listened to that Occupational Hazard and that Bulletproof, Beyond Bulletproof. And, man, Mozzie go hard, which kind of disappointed me because I listened to that um, community service with YG and Mozzie, and it was just okay. Like, I think I like both of them much better when they're apart as opposed to being together. I mean, it had some songs I liked on it, but it wasn't just something I would bang or play on a regular basis it was it was cool but i liked mozzie by himself way better i like yg by himself way better too um also listen to that um that uh young ma and off the yak didn't love it but she got one track on there called um what is it called yak thoughts man she go crazy on that one though i didn't love the album but that yak thoughts go hard she spent some bars on that thing so yeah, definitely check out that. If you don't check out nothing else, just look up Yak Thoughts for uh, Young Ma off the Yak. But then, man, two of my two of my favorites came out. You got DMX Exodus with his album. It kind of seemed like they that it wasn't totally finished, but I think they did a good job putting it together and and the way it sounded. I don't know if all those features were on there or were gonna be planned to be on there some of them sound dated but i definitely like the album though especially it, it it doesn't have the energy of an old dmx album but it wouldn't right he's 50 why would it have that same energy as when he was younger but you can still see he's trying to bring it it doesn't meet that level but he's bringing that energy um love the features love they started off with a dmx lock swiss beast joint you know old classic everybody spitting some point we're gonna have to give Sheik luch the respect that he deserves you know what i'm saying he used to be the people used to kind of think he was the weakest link of the locks and i think for a while now Sheik has been on par if not better than all of them i always like Sheik. i like those silverback gorilla uh mixtapes uh, I think on the last album, he may have had the best verses out of uh, Jada and Styles. Now, I'm a big fan of all three, I've said before, but I like them separately more than I like them together. But when they're on tracks, like feature tracks together, they always go hard. kind of think Griselda is a new version of that. That's why I like that the fact that on Hood Blues, you had Westside, Benny, 
and um, Conway Machine on there because I think they they feel like they're the new locks. You know what I mean? Like Westside Gun is just as underrated as Sheik was. Westside Gun be killing it. You know what I'm saying? He got that underrated mentality of not mentality. He got that underrated thing like Sheik, but he spits to me like somebody from Dipset. I really I really like Westside Gun. But then the second song was Bath Salts. I really like Jay Z's verse on there. Seemed odd, out of place. But I like Nas, DMX on there. Then you came back with Dogs Out, DMX, and Lil Wayne with Swiss Beats. I'm telling you guys, man, Lil Wayne is getting ready to go on a run, man. His last five, six features that I've heard, he's going crazy. This is what Lil Wayne does to gear up, to gear up to go on his run, man. And Lil Wayne is putting something together, and I'm, I'm excited with the tracks that I've heard from from other like with the tracks that i've heard or these albums that i've heard from other people is really making me excited for this year because i think we're going to get a lot of lyrical artists coming out this year and i think we're going to get some really good music and i feel like Lil wayne might be one of us towards the end of the year i don't know if he already got something ready but i can the these verses that i'm hearing he's going crazy like he he went crazy on this verse that timeless verse, I still listen. That that's crazy. Um, the Khaled mixtape, he went crazy. Like he's been going crazy all these verses. Like Wayne is really getting ready to go on a run. But I love the fact that you get Wayne on this DMX album. Uh, Moneybag Yo um, was on there. He did a good job. I think that that fits. Uh, one of the younger, the new generation guys with DMX. Uh, then you get Alicia Keys, Hold Me Down. And some of these songs like on Hold Me Down when DMX is just by himself, Hold Me Down, Skyscraper, um, even Take Control, those have feels of tracks that were on DMX. I mean, this feels like a DMX album to me, man. It's, it's kind of emotional. He gets down, he, you know, because, you know, DMX is kind of like Tupac where he's a rapper, but he's also kind of like a poet. <laughs> But that letter to my son, that shit is that shit is deep right there. But I, I really enjoyed this album. I think it was a perfect way to send DMX off as his last project that we were gonna hear from him. Um, really good album, really good features. Even though it didn't sound like it was totally complete, I think it was a good album. But this week is funny. We get uh, Little Dirk and um, Little Baby. They were actually supposed to come out on the 28th, but they pushed their album back in honor of dmx so i thought that was pretty good and man listen to that album probably like the last three or four times yesterday and that album's fire man i i, I really like what they did it's funny too because i don't really like little dirt by him so i'm not gonna say i don't like little dirt i just don't listen to a lot of little dirt uh, I listened to him on features, but I had never heard set and listened to like a Little Dirk album or a Little Dirk mixtape. Uh, I don't think he's bad. I just think kind of like sings, uh, harmonizes and sings a lot. You said the same with Little Baby, but Little Baby is different. He he be spitting some bars, but even his album, it's hard. It was hard for me to listen to Little Baby's album because uh, every track kind of sounds the same. <laughs> it kind of listens sounded like you were listening to every track. I probably need to go back and listen to it again. Because now I can really understand what Lil Baby's saying. So maybe before when I was trying to listen to his album, it was hard. Because I didn't really understand what the hell he was saying. He raps 100 miles per hour. He got that Atlanta slang. And it was hard for me to catch. But now I, I can catch most of the shit that he's saying now. So in this album with Lil Baby and Lil Dirt, them niggas are going crazy. And it's, it's funny because it seems like Dirt decided to take a, take a step back on the first track, Voices of Heroes. You hear Lil Dirt talk about how he's the voice and Lil Baby's the hero. So it's kind of like 
Jordan and Scottie Pippen, right? Everybody can't be the leader. You got to have somebody to support them. But even though if I'm in the supporting role and I'm B, the B might, it doesn't mean that I'm not getting on there trying to match the level of Jordan. You know what I mean? So that's what you get. You get Dirk on there. And even though Dirk looks like he's kind of taking a step back, He's really killing that shit, though, on the same level as Little Baby. Little Baby, the first, I say the first half of the album, Little Baby's just going nuts. His bars is crazy. But then towards the end, I think Dirk starts to match that level, and they're both just hitting it, man. I really enjoy it. I think that they match together. Even the harmonies, the way they flow, I think it's like a perfect match. They sound like they've been rapping together forever. They sound like a real, like a group. Like, this shit is nice. And you don't always get that when you get two major artists coming together rapping, right? It's not always what you expect it to be. Like when Jada Kiss and Fabulous got together, Freddie versus Jason. I mean, it was a cool album, but it wasn't nearly what I expected it to be. Um, I think Jay-Z and Kanye met, matched. Um, this one probably kind of, to me, it, it's what we wanted Lil Wayne and Joel Santana to be. You know what I'm saying? Everyone thought that's what it was going to be by coming up with the features that they had together. But it, I don't think it quite panned out to be as good as this album. Like I think every track on here rocks it's 18 tracks but it doesn't seem like a long album and i mean they're not all like super long tracks so it, it i mean you can't even tell that it's that long i think my favorites are voice of heroes 2040 um i like still running with little wayne um medical how it feels go hard like how, how it feels is one of my favorite ones um please that's a good joint um but yeah I, I I really like I really like this album, man. I'll be banging this. This is perfect for the summer too. Something to ride to. Um, they all the whole album. They're talking about the same shit, street shit. They talk about loyalty, holding your family down, trust. That's the, kind of the theme of the whole album. And I ain't even a street dude, so I can imagine niggas in the street. They probably going crazy listening to this. You know what I mean? So I'd be interested to read and hear some of the reviews. It just came out Friday, but love it. This definitely gonna be in rotation. This and J Cole probably gonna be my albums that i listen to the most this summer i also listen to lloyd banks that lloyd banks um it's cool the problem with it is that it sounds like some shit that you would hear in 2003 like lloyd banks shit all sounds the same i mean it's exactly what i expect to get from lloyd banks it's heavy bars it's spitting it's kind of got a mixtape feel but everything about the beats and everything about it seems like something in 2003 2004 it just seems like dated like there's no growth with lloyd banks <laughs> you get what you get and that's what you get same flow same sound everything just sounds the same not a bad album i just probably won't listen to it because sounds like it would have been good but 15 years ago <laughs> it just not no no harmony nothing in it it's just old school hip-hop rap same beats no fluctuations I, I wasn't a huge fan of it personally but i think that's all the music that i was listening to uh but yeah definitely check out that little dirt little baby voice of heroes is hard that dmx go hard um transitioning from that dmx to jay-z jay-z was on lebron's barber sh uh, the shop this week uh, i think it was jay-z i don't know how to pronounce her last name but it's like nanik she's a center for the la sparks had paul Rivera, bad bunny i don't know i don't like the format of the shop too many motherfuckers on there it's only a 30 minute show they clip it and cut it all up 
to put it together. The barber's all over the place. At one point, he's on LeBron, combing his hair, acting like he's gonna edge him up. One minute later, he's on a whole nother person, edging the back of his hair up. He ain't really cutting nobody's hair. It's kind of pointless. They're working real hard to keep this shop theme going that I think is really pointless. It, it does a disservice to have people as big as like Obama and Jay-Z on there for 30 minutes and then you have all these different people talking. Because I'm honestly, I don't give a fuck what they got to say. I mean, I'm tuning in to see what Jay-Z got to say. If Obama's on there, I'm tuning in to see what Obama got to say. I don't care like what all these other people have to say at that point. You should put them on another show while they're by themselves. Because actually, I would like to hear an interview with just that Neek from um, L.A. Sparks. But you got Jay-Z on there talking. You got um, Bad Bunny, half talking English, half talking Spanish. Paul Rivera, I think that's his name, um, trying to trying to translate for Bad Bunny. It just seems all over the place. I don't really like it. I think they need to change that format. Maverick Carter gets on my nerves. He's always trying to direct shit back to LeBron so LeBron can tell a story. Either way, that's not, that's not here nor there. But I'm not a fan of the shop. I listen to it just to hear certain people. Otherwise, I don't really tune into it. But I thought it was interesting some of the shit that Jay-Z was talking about. Uh, one of them was that when he, when he did his first album, he was like, well, his first and his second album, he was really in the streets. And I really like, like, I'm a big Reasonable Doubt fan, but I also like Streets is Watching. People don't really talk about Streets is Watching as much, but I thought Streets is Watching is one of, like, my favorite things to listen to. I don't know if he even calls that an album. I don't even remember that he if he even names that as an album. I know they had, like, a, a, a little movie-like thing for Streets of Watching, and it has some of my favorite songs on Streets is Watching, but it might have been just an EP for... Um, Life and Times Volume 1 But I really like Streets is Watching So he was talking about how he has that picture with him in a bulletproof vest And a Rolex that that wasn't a photo shoot Like he, was, he walked around like that Every day because he was Actually in a real war So I thought that was interesting Then when they asked him to name his favorite album His favorite album of his He said Reasonable Doubt or Blueprint He said Reasonable Doubt got more Lyrics in it but Blueprint Has a better vibe And I mean, I think Blue. I actually like Blueprint 2 better than Blueprint. Like, I think Blueprint's cool. I think it had, it's probably launched the commercial success that he had. Um, I also like the fact that Blueprint is what kind of ignited the beef between him and Nas. But overall, I like Blueprint 2 much better than I like Blueprint. But I understand why he would pick put Blueprint in there. But he has a tendency to... It depends on when you catch him Because I've heard him say that American Gangster Was on his top two list at one, one point I think we all know it's Reasonable Doubt If you listen to Reasonable Doubt It's hard for anybody to convince me That any other album besides Reasonable Doubt Maybe the Black Album But Reasonable Doubt is definitely his best album But he, he usually names Reasonable Doubt But he might say Blueprint He might say American Gangster I like Reasonable Doubt That's my favorite album um, he also talk, told a story about DM, DMX and when they were on tour because I, I mean we think about rappers being on tour now but um, we don't really we, we don't really think that back then it was harder for them to like do solo tours so like that Hard Not Life's tour and that, that backstage that they did 
a long time ago, I think that was more revolutionary than I than I ever thought it was. Like it's one of my favorite things to watch. I love I love watching it. But um uh, it was about the tour. It had like DMX, Jay Z, Method Man, Red Man, Ja Rule, Benny Siegel, DJ Cool, Memphis Bleak. You get some a lot of the video that you see from Dame Dash when they're trying to describe how Dame Dash acts comes from that video. Like comes from that movie. It's a very good movie. Like him arguing with Dame arguing with Kevin Lyles going crazy. Uh, it's just it's just really entertaining, man. So I like when Jay Z's telling the story about some of the interactions with DMX, man. Uh, but the good the story that uh, hit me the hardest was when he was talking about uh, DMX being out there performing for, before him, and then that um, that kind of beat come on, and then DMX started growling, and he said the crowd go crazy. I don't know why that shit kind of gave me goosebumps. Just remember, if you were there doing the rough ride at DMX time, then you know how impactful DMX is and what it sounds like when DMX is on the track or when you hear DMX. You know what I mean? That growl, like that shit was that shit was real. So I could imagine him controlling the crowd like that. You know, the stories have always been that DMX was excellent performer, like from from day one, even going back to the story of where his jaw was wired shut, he spit and broke the jaw thing, that the mouth thing that was on there spitting his rhymes. You just get some crazy DMX stories talking about his energy. The fact he had asthma, he'll be up there damn near about to kill himself rapping. And then he take his shirt off, girls go crazy. At the end, he says a prayer, and then everybody starts crying. And then Jay-Z got it going with, it's a hard not life. <laughs> so he gave uh, DMX and Redman and Method Man credit for helping him with his concerts and his shows make a better show. So I thought that was a good uh, shout-out to DMX, man, and show his impact of what he's had on the music and what he's had on everybody, man. So I like that. But I really would have liked to see more of a conversation between LeBron and um, LeBron and Jay-Z. You know what I'm saying? Just 30 minutes conversation. Maverick could be there or whatever. I think they need to decide. Like, I think if it's going to be Maverick's show, they need to just have Magic Maverick there, get rid of LeBron, or they need to have LeBron there just doing interviews and get rid I don't like how... I don't know. I ain't. I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Maverick. Like he could do it, but it's just it's always kind of he's always trying to redirect the conversation back to something that's happening in LeBron's life, and I, that's his man, so he's supposed to do that. But that shit kind of gets annoying to me. <laughs> like, okay, Jay Z, they telling their story. And okay, now you want now you want LeBron to tell about how he 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 put in the the side step and the euro step to his game. You know what I mean? Like. This ain't LeBron's time. There'll be plenty of time to talk about LeBron. I mean, if you're going to have other people on there, then you should be more focused on those other people. Or let Jay-Z and LeBron talk about their experiences together. I just think they need to change the format. That's just me. Get excuse me, gets under my skin, but maybe everybody else is cool with it. I don't know. But speaking of LeBron, young Devin Booker sent that boy home, man. <laughs> Devin Booker and Chris Paul's leadership. As a point guard, I don't think you can put a value on it statistically. The way that he can come in, organize, help a team, um, put them on the right path. Like this Phoenix Suns team was already on the path. I mean, last year we saw in the bubble, we saw Mike Williams were getting them to play better together. They still had that gap at point guards, might have organized because you know people think that Devin Booker isn't in his prime yet, be but he's been in the league with six seasons. And he's been through a lot of different changes, a lot of different growth. So people don't see a lot of Devin Booker. 
But if you haven't been watching Devin Booker, he's been struggling with injuries. But what's been happening is Devin Booker has been forced to play a lot on the ball the last two or three years because the point guard play was so bad. The only way that the Suns' offense could really get going was with Devin Booker with the ball in his hands. And I think it developed his game a lot because it developed his ball handling, it developed his um, passing skills, his decision-making. But his, his decision-making wasn't on a James Harden point guard type level. You know what I mean? He can do good. He can make the right decision. But at the, at the heart of things, Devin Booker's a scorer. He's a killer, right? So then you bring in Rubio, which Rubio was a good point guard and was good help for him, but you still can't have him in there because Rubio can't, can't shoot consistently. So what happens is you, the attention still is on Devin Booker. It's not the relief that you were hoping to get from a point guard, from a playing the point guard, setting people up, getting everybody in position. Rubio could do that, but it still bogged down the offense because Rubio couldn't shoot. But now you switch that up and you put Chris Paul with Devin Booker with nothing but shooters and people that just listen to Chris Paul. And you see the effects of that. They go from being a, what, ninth seed last year or fighting to get in the play-in game to the number two seed in the NBA. Yeah, it was a shortened season and there were some circumstances surrounding that. But still, that's a, that's a pretty big jump. And in, then adding in a player like Jay Crowder, which I think Miami severely underestimated his value I think Jay Crowder is a, a championship piece not saying that the Suns will win a championship but I think that Jay Crowder is one of those underrated championship pieces that you can have on a team because he doesn't get rattled he's a big shot maker clutch three-point shooter he he has the size to kind of guard anywhere from a two to a four man depending on the players um, he has the strength to not just get pushed around he's really good defensively like he was very solid I think he was a big piece of the Miami Heat going to the finals been a Heat fan and I think you saw that going against the Bucks that's why that was a different series because you didn't have Jay Crowder there you didn't have Jay Crowder there to guard um, you didn't have Jay Crowder there to guard Giannis and to really give him the trouble but now you see that with, with this Phoenix Suns team. You know what I'm saying? You got Mikael Bridges, who's a really, really good long defender that can get people in trouble. Aiden playing out of his mind. You know what I'm saying? Aiden really growing up before us. So I really like the Suns team. And it, it came to a point where Chris Paul didn't even have to do the majority of the work. He just put people in position to be successful. So a lot of people are jumping on LeBron. And um, this I'm I told you so moment, but... I mean, what you expect from LeBron, man? LeBron did all he could do, man. What, the dude's 36, 37, something like that? Anthony Davis got hurt, got a growing injury. I mean, they lucked up. He was able to stay healthy um, in the bubble last year. That's what you traded for him. But you know this is the risk of, of getting Anthony Davis. He can get hurt at any point in time, man. He can, he can get hurt, and it can be anything. You just never know. He tried to play through it, but growing injuries are hard to play through, man. Anything with those ligaments, you try to get out there. But it only takes one bad movement to make it worse. So even with him playing, I know why he played, because it was a closeout game. So I, I commend him for trying to play. But I never thought that was going to go well. I mean, it's not like some of the other things you got there. Like Chris Paul can play through a shoulder injury before he can play through a growing injury. I mean, he's just – and then it, then it was a bad setup because – he has a growing injury, and somehow he gets isolated at the top of the key. I don't even know who it was, but when the dude drove past him and he had to make that quick twitch movement, I mean, it was over with. Like, that should have never happened to me. I don't, I don't know. I think it was – I don't think it was a good decision on the Lakers' part. I know they were trying to win, 
But I don't think that was a good decision on the Lakers part. Uh, especially since he signed that contract and he's going to be there long term. I think you should have. Y'all got a championship last year. This was a shortened season. I don't think you should have risked Anthony Davis doing that. I just don't think that was a good decision. Um, but I think LeBron did what he's supposed to do, man. LeBron tried. I mean, the team just wasn't quite good enough. The team was fatigued. The Heat looked like they were fatigued. That long season. So I, I don't think this is a knock on LeBron. LeBron did what he came to do. He's won a championship with three different teams that he went to, which is pretty fucking impressive <laughs> in my eyes. You know what I mean? I don't think that there's an asterisk on the bubble. Most people say that there's an asterisk on the bubble championship. I think that you have to account for the mental toughness of being at the bubble and being on that campus and being able to keep your team at that level and keep everybody focused. I think there's something to be said for that. You know what I mean? Now, it, it did help with the, the shooting, the lack of travel, the lack of fans. Yeah, but you also have to account for a lot of people were breaking down mentally in that bubble. A lot of people couldn't handle being in that bubble. So the mental toughness, I think, offsets that. So it could go either way. I mean, you can make the argument for either way, but I think if it's that even and you got to make the argument either way, then it's probably it probably evens out at some point. I don't think it's that big of an advantage that people think. Because mental toughness is a part of sports. I mean, you got to be mentally tough to be a part of sports. You don't have the luxuries that you would have at home and I don't think some people handle that well personally. But, you know, the playoffs are in full effect. Um, the late, this is the first time since what, 2010 that you didn't have any, you don't have LeBron or Stephen Curry. So you have kind of a changing of the guard here. You had Devin Booker stepping up, taking out LeBron. Um, John Morant took out Stephen Curry with, with an excellent performance. I mean, he couldn't get it done against the Utah team. The Utah team is better than people think, but I, I really respect Ja, what Ja has done. You, you saw real growth in Ja. I mean, even that last elimination game, I think he had like 42 points. He had five threes. Dude reminds me of Allen Iverson. I mean, he's a better point guard, like point guard skill-wise, but when it gets down to the game, like he has ice in his veins. He might not be a pure shooter, but he'll hit shots when he needs to. You know what I mean? He, I think you see, I think you see Ja coming into his own so i really enjoy what he did um respect to the grizzlies they probably one move away i think they need another legit outside score um to really be consistent and help them but i, I don't think they're that far away from being a contender um i think the jock could make memphis i don't think they'll get a primary free agent but they could probably get a second level free agent i don't know who's available but they could probably get somebody in that second tier i wouldn't be mad at them going to get somebody like DeRozan, someone that we feel like could be on their last leg, but he's a veteran and he can do kind of fill in all those holes with his the way he's been passing with the Spurs. He could either play kind of a second unit point guard for that team. I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad to see somebody like DeRozan come in for a year or two and play with the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he could really help them. So I'd be interested to see what those guys do in the offseason. Um, I like the Utah Jazz. I like what they're looking. I, I picked them to go to the Western Conference Finals last year. I think I was a year ahead. But missing Bogdanovich was, was a big hit for them. Him being back, adding to that shooting, stretching the floor, I think that's been really good for them. Um, Mike Conley got hurt in that game with another hamstring injury. So it'll be interesting to see how many games he misses. Um, the matchup that they get, I think, is going to be really important. I don't know if they can beat the Clippers with Kawhi being on, but I think that they can handle the Mavericks pretty easily because I think Goldberg being in the middle can really give Luka and KP trouble. 
Um, but I think the Clippers may be a bad matchup for them if they don't have a healthy Mike Conley. And I don't know that Mike Conley is going to be healthy. Um, Clippers shown some good heart coming back. Nobody's won at home. You had Kawhi Leonard going to Dallas and dropped about 45. I got to apologize for the disrespect because I was on them hard when Dallas uh, when Dallas won in L.A. I was I was on his head hard, man. I was like, man, he need to guard him more. He need to guard Luka more. He needs to be more aggressive on offense. And that's what you saw in game six, pushing it to a game seven. On those switch outs, he wasn't just being loose and getting off Luka. He was up there on Luka, kind of forcing some plays, forcing Luka to make some tough decisions. On offense, he was ISO kill mode. You know what I mean? He was just killing them one-on-one, hitting threes. That's the Kawhi I've been waiting to see. That's the Kawhi that I wanted to see all series. I don't like that he saved it to now. Um, Paul George hadn't even been playing bad in this series. It's really been Kawhi hasn't been the superstar and the superstar that we've been giving him credit for. But he was that superstar in game six. And they're going to need more of that. I think they took Dallas lightly, thought that they could kind of coast through this matchup. But Lucas put them on notice that they're going to have to play to win this, right? Um, we saw Denver. So I, I actually like what has been going I think I'm going to have to go with Dallas. I'm going to have to go with Dallas. I'm going to have to go with Luka in game seven. I think that they can get it done, man. I don't I don't trust Paul George in this situation. I don't trust Reggie Jackson's going to repeat his performance that he had in game six. So I think I think I'm going with uh yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Luka. So if that's the case, I think that Utah Jazz will end up advancing past the Dallas Mavericks. Then you go to Denver and Portland, man. Dame did everything he could, bro. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing, same thing I said about LeBron, man. That what was it, game four? The game four, something like that. Game, yeah, I guess a uh, game five. Yeah, game five. Dame was incredible, bro. <laughs> that was amazing. Twelve threes, and the, the threes that he was hitting to tie the game up was incredible on Austin Rivers. I mean, he was just Austin Rivers wasn't even playing bad defense. He was just busting Austin Rivers' ass. And I kind of was like, shit, y'all just gonna let Dame shoot that shit? <laughs> I mean, y'all not gonna double team and trap him? I know you don't want to get too close to him, and it's hard to foul Dame because he's very proficient at drawing fouls, right? But you can at least put two people on them, a taller person, make them shoot Odom from deep, you know, trap them at half court, kind of like they do Steph Curry. Make them shoot that shit deep, deep as possible or throw it to Robert Covington. Yeah, Robert Covington might hit, but I'm willing to gamble with Robert Covington hitting as opposed to Dame Lillard one-on-one shooting. <laughs> we see what Dame does in Dame time. Why would you test him two times? Like, nah, can't do that. Can't do that. But Dame did everything he could. He, he looked fatigued in game six. They came out hot. Covington, they were giving him some help. Covington, Melo, they were all playing good. CJ was a bit of disappointment in this series, man. I love CJ McCollum, but we got to call it out, man. CJ was a bit of a disappointment in this series. CJ did not carry the weight that he needed to carry in order for them to advance. I mean, he played well, but he didn't match. He didn't match what Dane was doing, and that's what he's there to do. And that's one of the arguments with, you know, maybe we need to break that up. Because Dame shouldn't have to do that with a player like CJ. You know what I'm saying? Nurkic can't stay out of foul trouble. He's not as aggressive on the offensive end as he should be. Dame, with all the names and the shooters and the stuff around Dame, Dame just seems like he needs help in these times, and I don't think CJ comes through enough. I think it's time to break it up. Uh, I like Norman Powell being there. I think they should keep Norman Powell. I think they should keep Covington. I think they need to see what they can do with getting Dame some help. Maybe get bigger. You know what I mean? Get bigger. Get somebody in there. I mean, I don't think they have enough assets to go get a Bradley Bill, but if they could get it like a Bradley Bill, they need somebody that can take the pressure off of Dame. Or 
I think they're probably one year away from Dane demanding a trade. I mean, you you heard a lot of frustrations after this loss. Um, they're saying uh, Terry Stouts is out. Um, they're saying they want Jason Kidd in there. Just read a report that Jason Kidd is unlikely to be the coach. So that's one knock. You know what I mean? Dane wants Kidd. He's probably not going to get Kidd. Um, I'm be interested to see how the Portland handle this, man. It's how you lose your stars. How you lose your stars, man. You don't go and do what you need to do to keep them there. I think it's time to get rid of CJ and try to see if you can bring somebody in to help Dame. It's something about CJ that doesn't match. And I think if, if CJ goes somewhere else, I think CJ is going to be just as good as Dame. I think CJ can be a 30-8 and eight player on a team that's on his own. We've seen him do that for stretches when Dame was out. I know CJ is a killer. It's something about them that doesn't match together. It's something about them that doesn't mix to a champion fun to watch but they don't mix to a championship level because they both kind of need the ball in their hand like cj needs to really work so what happens is for cj to really get off it's a bunch of isolation ball it doesn't work off each other like it should it shouldn't be so much iso it doesn't like cj's not coming off picks getting being spot shooting and things like that they both need the ball in their hands to really be the most effective so they need to find a player that complements um dang in my opinion, I just think they need a player that's a shooter. They can do kind of do everything. And that's easier said than done. I mean, it's not a lot of players like that at the NBA that's on the level of CJ. Because I think when CJ goes to another team, he can turn into fucking James Harden and be like, damn, why Portland couldn't win with him? Well, you can't win with him because Portland. But this is the exact reason why OKC, everybody talks about OKC trading James Harden. That shit was never going to work. You saw that in Houston because Westbrook needs the ball in his hands. James Harden needs the ball in his hand. One of them needs to be in control and one of them needs to play off the ball. Well, Harden doesn't really, he's not as effective just being off the ball because he doesn't do everything you need to do. So he ends up standing around. And Westbrook can't shoot well enough to play off the ball. He needs the ball in his hands. So it just works better when they got the ball in his hands. That's why I worked with the Nets because Kyrie can play without the ball in his hand because he's a pure shooter. And he wants to be a scoring guard. So it works with James Harden dribbling the ball and just letting Kyrie Irving, like he be, Harden being the distributor and Kyrie Irving being the scorer. So I think it works. But I think we also need to talk about Denver's chances, man. With LeBron out, we got to remember, man, Denver went to the Western Conference Finals last year, man. And it was a battle. I don't know, I don't know what that matchup with Utah looks like with no Jamal Murray because they really needed Jamal Murray and Utah should have closed Denver out. Utah was up, and they should have closed Denver out, and they allowed Denver to come back. I believe they were down 3-1. Denver was down 3-1 to Utah. And Jamal Murray just went insane and outdueled Donovan Mitchell in order to bring him back. So what does that look like without Donovan Mitchell? I mean, without Jamal Murray in that Utah matchup. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's what I'm looking at because I don't think that Phoenix – I don't think Aiton's ready to handle a joker. Right, and that matchup. I'm look. I don't think that. I think it's matchup wise. It's not in favor. And you got Chris Paul. Chris Paul's worked magic before, but Chris Paul doesn't normally get out the second round. If we're being honest. We're being fair. Only time he's really done it is with James Harden. And then they got to the Western Conference Finals, and he got hurt. And then he's already dealing with a shoulder injury. And now you have to deal with the Joker. And I think without Jamal Murray, that Denver team is a bit tougher matchup than we think because everything runs through the Joker, and Joker is a lot more efficient than Murray. And you have to make a decision. And we saw that in the Portland series. No matter how good Dame plays, at some point in time, Joker is the biggest problem. It doesn't matter what you do offensively because they're hard to stop on the defensive end. You have to decide what you're doing with Joker. 
because he's so efficient. He can do literally everything, right? He's a point guard. He has elite vision. He can pass. He shoots the three from 40. He shoots the three at 40%. He's like 7'2 and big as shit, so he can dominate you down low and score easy. His footwork looks like dirt down there. It's, it's, he's a matchup nightmare. So the decision that you have to make is, do you want to guard him one-on-one? And let him score 30 to 40 points and just terrorize you in the paint. Get your big man in foul trouble and do whatever he wants, right? But you're probably safer doing that because he doesn't always want to score. His default is to try to be a distributor. So it's that's kind of the play. That's kind of what Portland tried to do. But at the end of the day, he still can score kind of at will, right? He's going to, by the fourth quarter, he's just going to wear all your big men down. That's a big problem with Phoenix because Phoenix only really has Aiden. If, if Aiden gets in foul trouble, which he has a tendency to do, who the fuck are you bringing in to guard Joker? Dario Sark? <laughs> Kaminsky? <laughs> like, you have no... The rookie, what's his name, Jalen? So, like, you have no answers off that bench to come in and guard Joker. And that's a that's a huge problem for them. And I don't think Aiden's going to be able to stand up. You can't put Jay Crowder on the Joker. He'll kill him. So what's your second option, right, to protect your center? Double team him. Now you have a secondary problem where now people are cutting through. You got Aaron Gordon cutting through and Michael Porter Jr. cutting through. And now they're getting easy baskets and they don't have to score on their own. And Joker gets 15, 16 assists. Pick your poison. I think he's a matchup nightmare. So I, especially for this Phoenix team, I think he's a matchup nightmare. Um, I look forward to be um, Denver versus Utah. And that's where it gets interesting for me. Because as I said, Denver, I mean, Utah was a, a bit of a problem for them last year. Although they didn't have Aaron Gordon, but they had Jamal Murray. Offense looked kind of, you know, lackluster sometimes when Jamal Murray had the ball. He had to hit a lot of big shots. Interesting matchup, because I think the offense for Denver is a lot more efficient with Joker having the ball than it is with Jamal Murray. Now, Jamal Murray's not a great player. It's just that sometimes he gets in the one-on-one mode and the, everyone is not distributed equally. I think that the offense is way more efficient with Joker because Joker can get people open. I think he makes he's more of a pure point guard. So if they can get anything from Monty Morris, if Monty Morris can play like he played in those last three games. Uh, if Michael Porter Jr. can be consistent. If Aaron Gordon can live up to his potential and stop being a fucking bum, then this, this Denver team is dangerous. But that's going to be a great matchup, in my opinion, Denver versus Utah. Now, Utah would have to get past the Clippers if they win. But if the Clippers get Denver, then I think it's a wrap. I think Denver going to the finals. I don't think it's any way that uh, that the Clippers can beat Denver personally. I, I don't think they have. I, you saw what Joker did to them before, and I don't think it's going to be much different this time around. Then you get into the Eastern Conference, right? Uh, by the way, I'm picking Denver, Utah, Western Conference Finals. I don't know how I'm going to go on that yet, but that's my Western Conference Finals. But then you get into the Eastern Conference Finals, which gets interesting. So as I sit here and I'm record, I'm watching Atlanta play the Sixers. And Joel Embiid did start today, uh, even with the small turd as meniscus. Uh, I think they should have probably held him out. Um, I think it's a big risk with his injury history, um, having him out there playing. But, I mean, we'll see. They're trying to win. They're the number one seed. Uh, doctors cleared him, probably said that he couldn't do any worse, probably just pain, pain tolerance. Personally, I think it's a risk with Joel because if he starts overcompensating, then he could injure himself. Not the meniscus. He could injure something else by overcompensating to try not to put a lot of pressure on that knee. So 
we'll see what happens. But overall, man, I think the Hawks are they match up very well with the Sixers. And it really depends on how they're shooting. Because if you look at it, you have Bogdanovich, you have Trey Young, you have Clint Capella that matches up with Joel Embiid um, off the bench. You have Kevin Herter. You have some big guys coming off that can um, that can sub in. I really like this Hawks team. They're playing well. I think that they they dismantled a pretty good Knicks team. I mean, I know we're used to seeing the Knicks and the Knicks being a joke and a failure, but that Knicks team was not bad. That was a good Knicks team. I think that uh, the job that Nate has done, Nate McMillan has done with that team defensively has been incredible. I mean, this team has always been offensively talented. They've always been able to score when they had Lloyd Pierce. The difference is the level of defense that they play. And what they did to Julius Randle and how they just kind of put him in clamps was excellent. So I'd be interested. Like, right now the Hawks are dominating the first quarter. They had some hot shooting, but Philly has nine turnovers. The Hawks are winning 42-27. to Is some of the things that I've, I've talked about is that they can do the same kind of things with Ben Simmons that they did with um, Julius Randle because Ben Simmons can't shoot. After that, you're depending solely on Joel Embiid. How healthy is he? Is he? You need Tobias Harris to really step up. I really, I really like this matchup for the Hawks. I think that the Hawks have a real chance to go to the finals. And I think, um, not, not the finals, I'm sorry. They have a real chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And if that happens, I think we're going to have to put some respect on Trey's name, man. Trey just needed some players. Trey just needed some players, man. Trey is an elite point guard. Um, the narrative is him shooting all these long threes. But that was last year when they had a lack of talent. They brought in Bogdanovich. Um, they brought in some talent. Clint Capella is now healthy. He, he now has some talents where he doesn't have to force those long threes like he did before. He's getting in the paint on a regular basis. He's drawing fouls all years. He's been, all year he's been going to the free throw line at an incredible rate. Like he's getting really efficient shots. So now even when he's struggling from outside, he's still effective because he's getting to the free throw line. And he's a what ninety percent free throw shooter. So if Clint Capella can stay healthy and just limit Joel Embiid, don't let Joel Embiid just dominate. If he can, if he can balance out Joel Embiid. I think the Hawks have a really good chance to shock the world. And I don't even think it's going to be what people think. Like, I don't think it's going to be seven-game series. They win in a nail-biter. I think the Hawks could get get the Sixers out of here in, like, six. I didn't like what I saw from the from them playing the Wizards without Joel Embiid. I think the Hawks, people are really sleeping on this Hawks team. I may like them more than most. I was already leaning. This first quarter has really got me thinking that maybe the Hawks can really get to the, the Eastern Conference Finals. Bucks and Nets, they played last night. I, I wanted to see that matchup because I wanted to see if the defense that I saw against Miami was real or was Miami just lacking talent this year. And what I found out is just Miami's just lacking talent. That defense that I seen from the Bucks does nothing against the Nets. Even with James Harden going out with one minute, the Nets just looked too fucking comfortable. Way too comfortable for them to be without James Harden. I don't know how how bad that hamstring injury is for James Harden, but I feel like they don't. It doesn't really matter as long as it's not season ending. I think that they can go without. They have enough to get to the finals without James Harden. Like they can get through this Bucks team without James Harden. 
that can get through the Hawks or the Sixers without James Harden. You would only need James Harden for the finals, in my opinion. But Kyrie and Kevin Durant is more than enough. And that's what you saw last night. It was just too easy. I mean, they didn't really have any answers for either one of them. And they just – the. What I saw with the Bucks against the Heat is even though when they were playing good defense, they have too many lulls in their offense. And when that happens, that really uh, really affects them, right? So I would – I'm really – I think that I'm going to go with the Nets versus the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that the Nets kind of cruise. I mean, Bucks may get a game. You know, Giannis can go crazy. I think that – the Nets get them out the way in five, at most six. And then they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think Eastern Conference Finals, I think the Hawks make it. And I think whether it's the Hawks or the Sixers, I'm picking the Hawks. Either way, I think they get swept. That side of the bracket was a lot lighter. I think if the Bucks would have got on that side, they could have went to the Eastern Conference Finals. But fortunately, they didn't. Sixers won. And they deserve it. But I think that side of the bracket is a lot lighter. So I think you'll be looking at a... Personally, me personally, is either going to be Nets Nuggets finals with outside chance of it being a Nets Utah finals. I wouldn't be surprised if Utah or the Nuggets made made it, but I think it's either going to be the Nuggets or Utah. I'm leaning the Nuggets just because I think that I think that Joker is going to be a different level of dominance. I think that's why I say I think you're seeing a changing of the guard, man. You're seeing a lot of new fresh faces. Trey Young, we're not used to seeing him in the playoffs like this, right? And then you're seeing um, Joker. He's been in the playoffs, so but I think you're going to see him take a step forward. Donovan Mitchell, I think you're going to see him come into his own. So should be a good playoffs, man. Um, even without LeBron, I think it's time for people to start. Time for us to start transitioning to. Life without LeBron because we're we're getting there. I mean, he's he even said on his on the bar on the shop, you know, this is the downward part of his career. You know, what I mean, two years, maybe three max um, from LeBron. So it's time for us to start transitioning into a new era, and I think this era is going to be more diverse with talent. And this very well could be <laughs> the Joker era. Man, I don't know. Joker is something new. We forget how young Joker is. With Joker's like 25, 26. And he's just now coming into his own, and he's already a dominant force. We're seeing that with this MVP year. Uh, I, I really like what I see from Denver, um, but he's going to need his guards to step up. So it'll be should be a good good finals, man. On to another sports. It's not a team sports, more one on one sports. But we've seen some of the same things in the NBA with dealing with the media. And I'm talking about Naomi Osaka in tennis. If anyone's seen that story, she was at the French Open before the French Open. She said that she wouldn't be doing any post-match conferences. Um, that kind of, you know, that kind of got she got kind of got some pushback from that. Um, but she was she was a woman of her word. She didn't do a press conference after winning her first round matchup. They fined her fifteen thousand dollars. They started threatening her to kick her out of the French Open. Um, so she said that she'll just. You know, she just resigned, or I don't know what it's called, but she decided to withdraw from the tournament because she didn't want to be a distraction. She released a statement, kind of apologized for being a distraction, um, said that she may not have went about it the right way. But then she also talked about her mental health, um, said that the media was nice to her, but it kind of affects her mental health. 
when they're asking her the same questions over and over again. And I can kind of relate. I can see both sides, though, right? Um, what people are going to say is why, like, that's her job, dude. That's her duty. Her duty is to go to these matchups. Uh, the media pushes these narratives to push to help push the sports forwards. It helps her brand when she gets in front of the camera and talk. You know, all these things, they, they're supposed to work together in, in unity. But, I mean, if you've seen any of these press conferences in any sports, you know that the media is kind of ruthless when you lose. You know what I'm saying? They, they treat different people different ways, but it depends with the media. You can get into answering the same question over and over. This isn't unique to Naomi. I mean, we've seen LeBron walk out of press conferences. We've seen the Allen Iverson. Like, we've seen this happen in other sports where it's just irritating because she's, she's, she has some points. After you get done with a match and you lose, you have to go, even if you don't play as win and you don't play as well as you hope, as an athlete, you have certain standards for yourself, so you're probably not in the best of moods. Then you go to this press conference and you hear these journalists asking you the same question over and over, trying to get a reaction out of you, to get a quote, trying to get a sound bite. I mean, that's their job also right so it's their job to get something interesting to give to the public so we'll click their article and read or so we'll turn on to their news program and see it to get a soundbite something that the the media cycle can talk about that's their job to provoke that try to get that out of you try to get something interesting out of you even being an introvert like Naomi their job is to try to pull something out of Naomi that's newsworthy right so it can be asking the same questions trying to get under her skin trying to get her to be more open about why she struggled you know what I'm saying and then on the flip side Naomi is maybe beating herself up internally because even when you win, sometimes you don't play as well as you want and you're scrutinizing your play and saying that you could play better. It's even worse when you lose, like trying to recap and think of things that you could do better. And you have to sit in front of you already feel bad. You have to sit in front of the media and let them ask you questions where it's kind of like obvious. You know, I think the report is she doesn't play well on clay courts. So you have to answer seven different variations of why do you struggle on clay courts is there a problem with clay courts like that's already in your head right and <laughs> you don't want to subject yourself to that when you already know that you don't play well on clay courts and i hear people saying well she's a millionaire she'd be able to handle it don't forget that this young lady is only 23 years old right <laughs> and she said that she struggled with depression and mental health before i think that's always kind of been a thing for me at tennis. Like, these kids start at such a young age. Like, you can go pro in tennis at 13, 14. That means you're playing what age? You know what I mean? Like, how long have you been playing in order to go pro at that age, right? All your life. Are you mentally conditioned to be able to handle being famous? And I don't think enough people ask themselves that. Like, we all want money. We all want to be a millionaire. But can we all handle fame? And I think the question is, everyone isn't built the same for fame. So even though that's an obligation for her as a tennis player, it's not saying that she's built for that as an introvert. Like, yeah, she's going to have to learn to do it. But there's going to be growing pains. And there's growing pains with even athletes that have grown up in the spotlight. Like, LeBron's grown up in the spotlight. And you've seen some growing pains with the media with LeBron when he doesn't make the decisions that the media wants him to make. When he doesn't do the things that people think he can do. We've seen these growing pains. You just 
have to let these players mature and learn and have conversations to see how you can make it better because you can't just disregard we're in an age now where you can't just disregard the mental health factors of it like she has points like there are ways to make that better i don't know how what we need to do to make it better where the media still feels like there's integrity and they're getting true and honest answers and they're asking the tough questions and balance that with the the mental health of these players and not asking them the same questions and kind of beating them down in press conference there's there's a balance because the media helps the sport i mean at the end of the day the media helps the sport the media helps the out the athletes they help them get the deals by putting by making them well known like if it wasn't for the media then you know we wouldn't see these players wouldn't see these articles get in-depth analysis and the thing is is that she she wasn't turning down like all media i think they said that she did a, a post-match press conference on the on the um on the tennis court and then she did another interview with like i guess somebody she signed by i think it's called wow because she's for team japan but she lives in the usa so i think she did some media she just didn't do the post-game press so I don't know. They said that it's a competitive advantage for her not to do media and then her opponent has to do media, which there's some credence to that because if I don't have to worry about answering those questions, if I don't have to worry about putting my time and energy into going into these press conferences, then that does free me up mentally to kind of just focus. And that is a competitive advantage if I have to do those things and you don't have to do those things. So it is. I think it's more complicated. Like most issues in life is more complicated than... It's not just on the surface. It's not just, oh, you know, Naomi's right. Oh, tennis is right. That's why you see, you know, former tennis athletes coming out saying that they think that she should do it. It's just something that she's going to have to learn how to deal with in her own way because I don't think it's going to be something that she can ever not do, you know. But on the flip side, if she's saying that she's not in the right mental space to do that and she chooses to withdraw or take some time out of tennis – I also don't want to see the media writing articles trying to force her back in the plan. If she's saying that mentally she's not in the right state to play and deal with these post-game conferences and all her media obligations, so she's going to take some time off, then I don't want to see the media turn on her because she's not playing and try to pressure her into getting back on the court or drop her rankings down or the little slick shit they try to do to put pressure on these athletes to do what they want them to do. Let her chill until she's ready to do it. You know what I mean? If she can't do it and she can't feel the obligations, you saying that she needs to and she decides that it's in her best interest to take some time off, then that's her decision. That's her decision to make. Let her get into a place where she's mentally capable of handling it. Maybe she needs to go see a sports psychologist. Maybe she needs some training. You know what I mean? It may take a year. Maybe she takes a year off. But as I said, we have to keep in mind that this young lady is only 23 years old. And think about how you were when you were 20, 23. And being 23, like this, she says this all started when she was 20 during the matchup with Serena, where she's coming and she's playing at a high level against probably one of her idols, and she's getting booed for it. <laughs> at 20, at young, being an introvert, being someone that's not good at handling the public pressure, she said, not good at handling the media, and she's having to deal with that mentally. 
right that's that's kind of stressful so it's not something that just happened overnight it's something that's built up with her and i think it's something that she probably needs to get some help with you know maybe like i said maybe she needs a sports psychologist to walk her through it and to help her like not take it personally you know what i mean just know that it's part of the job and part of the obligation but this also needs to be on her own time but this is an interesting story that i'm following i'll see you how it maps out how the tennis tennis works with her because she's a she's a powerful she's a powerful person she's i think she's ranked number two or number three in the world so tennis needs her just as much as she needs tennis for the money like tennis needs her like she probably could walk away from tennis right now and be good for the rest of her life <laughs> but tennis kind of needs a young star like her to push the sports forward and i don't i don't think you want your best athletes not playing in your biggest tournaments but you can't force them to play and then force them to do this media and force them to do these things because it's not healthy for the player. And at some point in time, tennis needs to think of the player also. Just like the player needs to think of tennis, tennis needs to think of the player. And if she's saying that this is a problem, this causes depression, those are serious issues, especially in these times. We've seen a high rate of suicide and things like that. And it's it's about more than the money. I know it, a lot of us are broke and not not at her status that we think just because she's making money, she should just do it. It doesn't always work that way, man. So I'd be interested to see what happens in that. Um, on a lighter note, Soldier Boy and Bow, Bow Wow are doing a versus. And I know musically people probably kind of roll their eyes because it's Soldier Boy and Bow Wow, right? But I'm highly anticipating this matchup. And not for the music. I love listening to soldier boy i think he's one of the funniest dudes alive soldier boy ray j they entertain me it's, it's hard for me to find a time of listening to their interviews or listening to them talk where they don't entertain me like soldier boy actually believes the shit that he says so that's just like hilarious to me because he believes all the bullshit that he be talking about like he thinks he's the first to do everything this bow wow soldier boy rivalry has been going on for years it's something that they've always argued argue about i don't even know the year they had a a, a, a time where they were arguing about whose ferraris were faster or something but they're always they're always into it so i think just that combination and the buildup of the theatrics going back and forth between Soldier Boy and Bow Wow, and they get on the stage together, and then they start talking, and and I think Soldier Boy can carry the verses on Pure Entertainment alone. Fuck the music, I just think on Pure Entertainment alone, Soldier Boy can carry his verses, and it'll be highly entertaining, right? Musically, I think people, I think people are gonna be surprised. Because even though Bow Wow has a number of hits, he has the screen tour, he has the, the billboard success. Like, Bow Wow's been doing this for years. He has hits. But you have to look at Bow Wow's catalog. A lot of Bow Wow's catalog are, is directed towards, like, teenagers and when, when you're young, the romance, love, that type of thing, right? It's not, that, it's not a ton of crunk, upbeat music, right? It's a lot of kind of love ballads, and it mixed with Chris Brown and Amarion and, you know, the screen tour and playing towards the ladies, right? And, and good. I mean, that, that made him money. Them screen tours went crazy. So I'm no knock on him. He did his thing, right? But then you got Soldier Boy, like one of the turn-up kings, you know what I'm saying? He was the damn near the king of the mix um, not the mixtape era the ringtone era you know what i mean that's that's where he made his name so all his songs are kind of made to be like singles 
get you up, get you crunk. You know what I'm saying? So when you put one of those ballots against crank that, wake up out of bed, put my swag on, that type of shit, and you mix that with uh, Soldier Boy's personality, I think Soldier Boy wins. Just off the pure pure energy. I mean, that's the thing about these battles. It's not necessarily so much about who has the biggest hits and how much is sold on the billboard. It's about the energy in the room. And you know Soulja Boy is going to bring the energy. If he don't bring nothing else, he's going to bring the energy. Then his songs project energy. So I think he's going to give the better performances. I think he's going to have more energy. I think the songs are going to be more energetic to listen to in a battle as opposed to the songs that Bow Wow is going to play. But I guess it depends on you who views it, right? Who tunes in? Is it is it a heavy ladies crowd where Bow Wow can, you know, sing to him and address to him and play to that? But even with that, I think the ladies even go with the turn up more. And I think people kind of forgot what Soldier Boy does. Yeah, he's kind of a clown sometimes. He's there for entertainment, but he knows it and he plays off it. So I'm I'm actually excited for that matchup <laughs> and i can't wait for it but you know i like ignorance so might just be me i think it's gonna be funny as hell i've been watching the youtube videos leading up to the battle and i just don't know like they both be stunting uh bow wow always talking big money <laughs> the soldier boy soldier boy just think he's the king of everything it's pure entertainment that's what i'm here for fuck the music i'm there for pure entertainment purposes only i don't take it serious not looking at this as like their catalog look at it on a pure entertainment value and i think we're got we got a gold matchup here um i personally think it would have been a better music matchup with romeo versus bow wow but i think it's gold entertainment wise so looking forward to that other than that man um just been watching a lot of shit on hbo max lately you know what i mean i've been really enjoying some content on hbo max they're bringing in like stuff like think that what i've watched i watched the crime of the century which is about the whole oxycotton oxycodone fentanyl addiction and you watch that shit and you just like man the level of corruption that's going on in america is outstanding man and it, they don't even get real consequences the people that need to get consequences don't get the consequences i mean i think at one point purdue farms purdue not purdue farms purdue whatever that drug company is called had to pay a nine seven hundred million dollar fine but they made nine billion dollars off of pushing it they were saying something like when the people would come in and say that they were having these side effects doctors would just give them more and increase their prescriptions one dude was taking 25 like 50 oxycotton a day and he was getting them for free <laughs> it's just the level they knew about it like their salespeople were saying that they're dying from the 80s they come out with 160s it's the it's, it's just crazy when you when you look at that and i just think like you got big pharma easing up restrictions on the drug companies so they can do it more easing up where the um the the dea can't even you know subpoena them or look at it like they just make it easier for people and it's all based on money going to representatives in the congress and the senate like congress and senate are literally fighting for these rules like well you can't get people into the pain get pain relief you got doctors in there saying that like what about the people that are in pain when you have a bunch of people that are not in pain and there's just a growing addiction of drugs and they're they're not even paying attention to it like we they just turn a blind eye to this 
And it's, it's similar to some of the things we talked about in the crack, crack epidemic. The only difference is instead of funding a war, it's just companies fattening their pockets. It's congressmen fattening their pockets. It's not funding the war. It's just people getting rich. Mega rich off of this. Salespeople, companies, congressmen, senators. All these people are just getting majorly rich off the, the poor, basically. The middle class. The insurance companies. Like, they're just, just using us as pawns to make money. And, yeah, a lot of times it's a race thing, but it's most of the time it's a class thing. You know what I mean? This is a... Like race is a big part. You'll never hear me say that race isn't important and race isn't a big part of like the discrimination things that go on. But I think race also masks that it's bigger, that it's a class thing, because a lot of white people <laughs> that are poor middle class, they don't care about either. They'll pump these drugs in the poor white neighborhoods. They don't care. <laughs> They're not fighting for them. So, yeah, the race is a big part of it, but class is a huge part of it, too. And this Oxycontin fentanyl thing, I think this targeted a lot of the lower middle class um, white neighborhoods. You know what I mean? I mean, I know some black people that take prescription. I mean, you, you hear music about it all the time. Percocets and shit like that. So it's definitely in the black community. And like, we're definitely abusing it. Like I said, that little that little Dirk voices of heroes. You hear Dirk talk about taking Percocets, Percocets all through that shit. Uh, promethazine, you hear all that shit all through that. So yeah, it's it's in there too. But I think it more negatively affected white populations if you start looking at the demographics. But yeah, so I watched that. Then I've also been watching a show that I think was on HLN. It's called How It Really Happened. Really interested in that show. I've gotten through the first season. They go through things like the Menendez murders, the OJ trial, um, you know, JFK Jr.'s accident, Whitney Houston. I really, really enjoyed that series. I think they brought in a lot of new facts that I hadn't heard before. I think this series started in 2018, 2016, but there's four seasons and they kind of went through it. Casey Anthony trial, stuff like that. So I'm only through season one, but I really, really enjoyed that. Shit, they damn near had me thinking that OJ innocent again. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard to think he's innocent because I, I did see the documentary. Like, I didn't do it. But if I did do it, this is how I would have done it. So it, that, that makes it hard to side with OJ. Give you that. But when you start listening to them, you start listening to the shit they talked about. I don't know. There's a there's a reasonable doubt on OJ's side with some of the facts. You know what I mean? Like there's some some interesting information that I don't remember hearing then. But so let me check that out if you get a chance. Um, I'm about to start on very scary people, kind of about serial killers and going through that. Um, after I got to the first season of how it really happened you know the stories is not the major stories anymore so i'm gonna go into very scary people i think the first episode is about john wayne gacy and let me say this the one thing that irritates the shit out of me when watching these shows about these serial killers like about jeffrey dahmer and john wayne casey and stuff you always see these white people get on there and be like oh you would never know him passing in the street you would just think he's a regular guy and that goes to profiling what we always talk about is black people like Police look at us and think that we're an immediate threat. No matter how we look. They look and they judge us on the way we look. And a lot of times you see these big black men or, you know, the men with dreads. You think they're the scariest people in the world. Some of the nicest people in the world, probably. Then you see these regular, ordinary white men that you think 
are upstanding citizens because they're doing these things in society and they're like raping people and murdering them and got bodies in their house and they just get the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> like in the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, they were talking about how um, I think there was a guy, an Asian, like a 15, 16 year old Asian boy that was on the street naked outside of the apartment in like this black neighborhood because he was Jeffrey Dahmer was living in like a black neighborhood in Milwaukee. And he was walking down the street, half drugged, not knowing where he was, naked. Police comes. Dahmer comes from the alcohol, uh, from the liquor store because he's an alcoholic. And he's like, oh, that's just my roommate. Keep in mind, the dude is like 14 or 15, says it's just my roommate. A grown-ass white man coming from the liquor store, a naked dude, a naked 14, 15-year-old boy. Even if he's 16, 17, I can't remember his age, but he was young. Even if he's 16 or 17. Like, number one, if that's the case and that's his roommate, he's probably doing drugs and he's underage. So you just walk him back up to the apartment and just check the living room? You don't look into that more? Like, even if that is Jeff, you trust Jeffrey Dahmer enough that this kid is on drugs, out in the middle of the neighborhood naked, and you don't even look into it. They said if they would, he would just went into the next room, they would have saw that Jeffrey Dahmer had a dead body there. And they didn't even do the basics of what you need to do to check. It just blows my mind. Same thing with John Wayne Gacy. They talk about him like he was just an upstanding citizen. And you would never have guessed. He's just murdering and raping dudes. <laughs> he can pretend to be a police officer. Dudes are getting in his car. And he's like murdering and raping them. And he's doing like, he's a plays like, like a clown. Doing kid shows and shit. It just blows my mind, bro. It's just. The craziest shit you ever seen of how they talk about white serial killers, but they portray black men to be like the most dangerous people on earth. You would think listening that you should be terrified of black men when in reality, you should be terrified of white men, middle-aged white men. That's who you should be terrified. You should be scared of them. You never fucking know, right? You just never fucking know. A lot of these mass shootings and people getting shot are coming from middle-aged white men. But yet, police still spend their energy profiling black men. Even if what they say that black people kill black people all the time, black-on-black -black crime is at a high rate. Let's say that, like, this has been disproven because you, you kill people in your vicinity, so white-on-white -white crime is hot, right? Asian-on-Asian -Asian crime is hot. But let's just take that out of it, right? Push that to the side for a second and say that you're right. That's even more reason why you shouldn't fear black people, right? If we're killing each other and a lot of the mass shootings and serial killers and rapists are white men, shouldn't you be more afraid of them? Just something to think about. I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm just saying... If you look into it, it doesn't really make sense logically to be so terrified of black men. If you really look into the statistic and quit just looking at what people tell you, kind of just go look into it and you'll see. How are the majority of serial killers white men? Majority of mass shooters are white men. Makes sense to me, but what do I know? You know what do I know? But that's it for you, read me, man. I plan to have on a, a guest, um, guest host, dropped the ball on that shit, didn't get the logistics straight, wasted both our time, but hopefully I can get it right and we can get 
very special guest host on on the next episode. But man, let me know what you think. Let me know if there's anything you want me to address. That's it for your read me. Peace. Now that's big facts. You read me.